Bibles tonight, please, to the book of Revelation, chapter number 8. Revelation, chapter number 8, I'm not going to go through uh, all of the details again, but let me remind you that uh, I believe that in the book of Revelation we have four separate accounts of the tribulation period. The first one is there in chapter number 6, where there is just a panoramic view of of what's going to happen. It starts with, uh, I think, probably right close to the beginning of the tribulation. It certainly ends with the close of the tribulation and the Lord coming back uh, to this earth. And then in chapter 7, we had a parenthetical chapter there simply to show us what was taking place with the Jews during that course of time. And so we come to chapter number 8 now, and we start the second section uh, and we'll continue on with this thought, of course, next week. Uh, but here we see another picture of the tribulation. I've entitled this Troublesome Trumpets. Troublesome Trumpets. You'll see why in a little while. I don't know about you, but I hate to be late or I hate to miss things, don't you? I mean, if I've got an appointment, you know, at 7 o'clock, I want to be there at uh, 6, you know, 40 or something like that. And Bev can tell you, my kids can tell you that there have been many of occasions where we've gone somewhere, maybe to someone's house to eat, and we'd end up driving around for 15 minutes around the block, you know, because I didn't want to be a minute late. I hate to hate to miss things. I remember going up to Dublin, Texas, uh, uh, one morning and missed a turn off and went about 30 minutes in the wrong direction. And, uh, you know, it was about 4 o'clock in the morning and I wasn't thinking too clearly. And as I was sitting there, I was just thinking of years ago we were playing to see, it's come down to two teams to see in fast pitch softball who was going to play for the state championship of Missouri. And uh, we ended up losing that game by one run. We missed it. And... uh Boy, to miss something like that. And so you hate to miss things, miss a wedding, miss whatever. But, you know, sometimes it's good to miss certain things. I can remember many years ago I was going to, going to, to Garland, Texas for the Bible conference there and uh, flying from Cincinnati and uh, missed my flight. And couldn't leave out and, until, uh, I guess it was, uh, uh, anyway, some, sometime later, and one of my deacons that was going with me had to wait till the next day. Well, as it happened, as it happened, the, 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 I guess the same flight as it was coming in uh, to Dallas, where there was a wind shear that caught that plane. Some of you might remember this had been 27, 28 years ago. They had the crash there in Dallas. And and so I, I was thanking God that that I didn't get on the flight because I very well could have been involved in that. Uh, whenever I was uh, was in in Germany and I'd gone from Germany over there preaching a meeting and had gone over to to Paris and had planned on staying another day. And uh, whenever I saw what Paris was like, I was ready to leave that very moment. And, and I, I did leave by, by train. I, I left and got back, went back to Frankfurt, and the uh, preacher picked me up in Frankfurt and 
took me back. Well, the, the next day, whenever I was originally supposed to come back, they bombed the train depot in, in Frankfurt. And so I'm glad I decided to come back. I'm glad I missed the bombing, you know. So sometimes it's good to miss things. Now, the one thing above everything else that everybody should want to miss is the tribulation period. And the good news is you can. You can. Because if you're a child of God, you're not going to be here. You're going to have already been raptured out of this world and taken to be with the Lord. And in First Thessalonians chapter number 5, we're told in verse number 9, For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you want to try to twist those words around and mean wrath, make a wrath mean something else and salvation means something else, You need to read the verses prior to that because the whole context has to do with the coming of the Lord and God's judgment upon this earth after He comes. It's very clear that it's speaking about what we call the tribulation period. And it says God has not appointed us, that is, those that are saved. He has not appointed us to wrath, but rather to salvation or deliverance. We're going to be delivered from it. So thank God we're not going to be here. Now, after the panoramic view of the tribulation in chapter number six and that parenthetical chapter in, in, in chapter seven, now, now John begins to describe a second view of the tribulation. Uh, in this chapter, the seventh seal is opened and the seventh seal that the, and the last on the scroll, you will remember, uh, it opens and introduces seven trumpets. We're going to look at some of those here tonight. Now, we begin in verse 1 with a silent pause. And when he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of an hour, a half an hour. I know what some of you are thinking. You've heard it, haven't you? Somebody said that I can prove to you there's not going to be any women in heaven. <laughs> now, I didn't say it. I didn't make up that, that old tale. <laughs> but anyway, think about it. Heaven, with all of the praise, the continual praise that's going on. Can you imagine there in heaven with all of the sights to see, all the glory to behold, and all of a sudden, there's silence. The silence is in heaven, but not on the earth. And no doubt it has to do with the fact that as they behold the horrible holocaust here on earth, that all of heaven stands aghast at the sight, the most terrible, shocking calamity in history is about to begin, and it captures the attention of all of heaven. You know that it's something that is important for people in heaven to suddenly stop their songs of praise, for them to suddenly focus not on heaven, but on earth. And no doubt many of them knowing they have loved ones here going through this horrible, horrible judgment 
that Jesus said is greater than anything that's ever happened in the history of the world. So we have a silent pause, but then we have a solemn preparation. Verse number 2. And I saw the seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Now look at verse 6. And the seven angels which had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. Every Jew certainly got the picture when they read these words. And all through history, not only with the Jews, but but with a great many people, trumpets were used to announce important events. It might be a call to worship. The trumpet would sound and a certain note or a certain number of blasts would call the people to come and to worship the Lord. It it might be a call to warfare. That meant that every able-bodied man was to drop what he was doing and respond to the call. That's why you'll remember that Paul said to, to Timothy that no man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. In other words, he stands at the ready all of the time. And he said, that's the way we're to live our Christian life. That's the way it was in ancient times. Every man was a soldier. And whenever the trumpet sounded, they were called to respond. Sometimes the trumpet was sounded to summons the people, maybe for other reasons. And so we know that in the sounding of the trumpets, that there is a summons, there is a call going forth, and this call is to the peoples of the earth. And now we, now we see in verse 3, 4, and 5, after the silent pause and the solemn preparation, we see the saints' prayers. And it says, And another angel came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer. And there was given unto him much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. And the angel took the censer and filled it with fire of the altar and cast it into the earth. And there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. Now, since Jesus is the only mediator between God and man, there have been those that suggested that this angel is the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm not so sure that that is right at all. And I don't think that's the important point here. Not the identity of the angel, but what the angel is doing here. And that is that the prayers of the saints are about to be answered. Keep in mind, as we talked about last week, during the tribulation period, 144,000 Jews are going to be converted, and they're going to be sealed, they're going to be protected, and they're going to proclaim the gospel so that a great number of people out of every nation, kindred, tribe, and tongue are going to be saved during that time. This is the greatest evangelistic campaign that the world has ever known. And all of these people are saved. But remember, those that are faithful to the Lord during that time that refuse the mark of the beast, they're going to be persecuted. They're going to be martyred. And remember the cry 
As the blood of the martyrs come up before the throne of God and they say, How long, Lord? How long? How long before you avenge the blood that was shed? I'm so glad that God always takes note of our prayers. God doesn't always answer them in the manner that we think that He should. Sometimes God says no. Sometimes God says yes. Sometimes God says later. God's timing is always better than, you know, than our desires. In other words, somebody said God's answers are better than our prayers, and that's right. But the point of the matter is, we see in this that God had not ignored their prayers. It's as though their prayers had been stored up. They had been preserved, as it were, until the time that God knew was the right time to answer their prayers. You mark it down. If you're a child of God and the will of God and you are offering up your prayers to God, God's not ignoring you. God knows your heart. God knows your need. God knows what you're saying. And although the answer does not come for many weeks, months, or even years, you mark it down. God knows what's going on, and God knows what needs to be done and when it needs to happen. And we have a reminder of that here, that the prayers come up like incense into the nostrils of God And it's a sweet savor, as it were, to God. And as the prayers come up, and as they are pleasing to Him, He is about to respond by sending judgment upon the earth. And it says there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. I mean, things are about to happen. The tremors are starting. The thunder is sounding. The storm is about to break. Now we come to verse 7. And all of the way down through verse 13 now, the focus is on the sinner's punishment. The sinner's punishment. Notice what he says is the first trumpet sounds in verse 7. The first angel sounded, and there followed hail and fire mingled with blood, and they were cast upon the earth, and the third part of trees was burnt up, and all green grass was burnt up. This is a picture of devastation. It's what you might call an ecological disaster here. One-third of all of the vegetation destroyed. Some writers believe that the grass is is typical of of masses of people and, and... you know, and the trees are typical of the leaders and, you know, that might well be, but I'm, I'm more inclined to believe that this is literal. I don't see any reason why not to take it literally. I think God knew the difference, you know, between grass and I know in other instances, you know, we might speak about mountains, for example, representing power and leadership, and we've got justification for that because other verses use that terminology uh, and make that application, and so we can do that. But in this case, I see absolutely no other scripture that would cause me to be inclined to, to say that the grass represents the people and the, and the trees represents the leaders one-third of all of the vegetation of the earth destroyed. Now, think with me. Brother Jeff Maxey and I, I guess it's been probably a year or so ago, 
some way or another, we got on a, in a conversation about the honeybee. And I don't know if, if, if you realize how important honeybees are to, uh, to mankind in general, but I'm telling you what, they are important. I mean, to our, our crops, just, there's no way without the pollination and the honeybees and the work they do, we, we need the lowly little honeybee. It's important. And whenever we think about uh, the, 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 you know, the, the situation that we're in, here's what I want you to remember. We talked about this in chapter number six. During that time, there's going to be a shortage. During that time of the tribulation, food is going to be rationed. Boy, I'll tell you what, it would not take much to set off a, a, a disaster here in America that would put us in a situation like that. And the same ones that would control health care, for example, and tell you what you can eat and what you can't eat. And whenever push comes to shove because of a shortage, and maybe you're thinking, oh, we could never have a shortage. Do you realize that that here in America, that as rich as we are, and with all of the people that are on welfare, 47% of our population, I believe it is, on welfare, that we literally, 40% of all of the food in America ends up in the garbage dump. 40% ends up being thrown out, wasted. And with all of these people, millions of people on food stamps, and you picture in your mind that suddenly there is some kind of a disaster, whatever the cause, and now you can't use your bank card or your, uh, what do you, what do they call that welfare card, whatever it is, and you can't use that and you can't get your food stamps. Look, we've already had a little taste of that. We've seen people already burning down businesses because they could not access their food stamps. Can you imagine what is going to happen in a situation during the tribulation where one-third of all of the vegetation is destroyed, there is a food shortage, and people can't get what they want and what they need, and... They'll be riding in the streets and just absolutely untold devastation. That's the picture here. One-third of the vegetation destroyed. That's the first trumpet. Now, look at verse 8 and 9. We see the devastation in verse 7, but now we see destruction in verse 8 and 9. As the second trumpet sounds, and it says the second angel sounded, and as it were a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea, and the third part of the sea became blood. And the third part of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died, and the third part of the ships were destroyed. One-third of the sea smitten. Notice, a burning mass of fire described as it were a great mountain. An asteroid, you know, a meteorite striking the earth. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I'm just telling you what God said. It's going to be like a great mountain that's going to fall into the sea. A burning mountain, if you please. And the third part of the sea becomes blood. You know, it's not the first time God's turned water 
into blood. But never on such a scale as this. We saw it in the days of Pharaoh, but notice the magnitude of this. He says, the third part of the sea. I, you know, I can't even get my mind wrapped around the size of the seven seas. There's just so much there. And the depth of it. It's just absolutely amazing. And he says the third part of it becomes blood. And, and now notice, and the third part of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died. That really staggers the imagination because we cannot even begin to imagine the amount of life there is in the sea. Now, maybe you're thinking to yourself, oh, well, yeah, there's not all that much because you know, after all, they've got limits imposed upon lobster and upon shrimp and different kinds of fish and what have you. And Well, that's for a good reason. And whenever you think about the, the amount of fish just along the shore, as it were, and out for a certain distance and what have you, and if they don't regulate that, there will be a shortage of speckled trout or redfish or shrimp or whatever whatever it might be but we're not talking about we're not talking about the gulf we're talking about the seven seas of the world and all of the living creatures that are in all of the all of the oceans dead devastation destruction now notice also here in this verse, still talking about the destruction of the third part of the ships were destroyed. April the 14th, 1912, the world was shocked when the Titanic on her maiden voyage hit an iceberg and sank. 1,517 people went to a watery grave. They said that... that even God cannot sink this ship. It was 800 and some feet long, I think it was. It was supposedly built in such a way that absolutely nothing could sink it. But on that terrible night, that gigantic ship went down in this terrible day. Because let me tell you, there are a lot of ships nowadays a lot better and a lot bigger, as it were, than the Titanic one-third of all of those ships are going to be destroyed when this happens. Now the third trumpet, verse 10 and 11. And the third angel sounded, and there fell a great star from heaven, burning as it were a lamp. And it fell upon the third part of the rivers and upon the fountains of water, and the name of the star is called Wormwood. And the third part of the waters became wormwood, and many men died of the waters because they were made bitter. When the trumpet sounds, one-third of all of the rivers, we're talking about fresh water now, all of the rivers were smitten by a star called wormwood. And wormwood came from an herb that was extremely bitter and intoxicating. It's mentioned over in the book of Jeremiah, for example. And you'll remember that the wicked men gave Jesus bitter gall to drink in that day. And those very 
those very people that rejected him in this day, they're going to drink of the bitter cup themselves at that time. Some have suggested that maybe this is chemical warfare. And again, I don't have any idea the exact nature of all of these things. I just know it's going to happen. That ought to be good enough for any of us. We don't have to know all of the details. And then the fourth trumpet sounds, and he says in verse number 12, the fourth angel sounded, and the third part of the sun was smitten, and the third part of the moon, and the third part of the stars. So as the third part of them was darkened, and the day shone not for a third part of it, and the night likewise. And I beheld and heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth by reason of the other voices of the trumpet of the three angels, which are yet to sound." Now, we see one-third of all of the plants are smitten. Go back to Luke for just a moment. Luke chapter number 21. It should always get our attention when Jesus speaks. And it especially ought to get our attention whenever He speaks about that period of time that is to be worse than any other period of time in history. And He says in verse... 25, and there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth, distress of nations with perplexity and the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of heaven shall be Shaken. Whenever he talks about this, going back to our text here in Revelation, the third part of the sun being smitten, the third part of the moon, and the third part of the stars, so the third part was dark and the day shone not for a third part of it. Uh, it, it there's an indication there that the day-night cycle will be reduced to 16 hours instead of 24 hours. And again, I don't know if that's exactly what's being implied or not, but it certainly, I guess, could be the case. But there's no doubt about it. The world is going to be in a state of panic. Now, let me wrap this up. All through history, man has lived as though God does not exist. Now, God gave plenty of evidence that He does. According to Romans chapter number 1, we're able to see those things which are not by the things that are seen. In other words, by creation, we are able to tell that there must be a divine power, that God must be real, that that there must be someone with the wisdom and the power to put all of this together and to keep it going. So just at looking at creation, we come to the conclusion there must be a God. But the problem is, when they knew Him, remember, Paul says, when they knew Him, it says they recognized Him not as God. I mean, they knew there was a God, but they did not give Him the recognition that they should have. And their hearts were hardened, their minds were darkened, 
Their deeds were evil until the point that God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Again, I say that man has lived as though God doesn't exist, although there is evidence that he does. Isaiah 53, 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone, what? To his own way. Rather than going God's way, we went our own way. Man has ignored God, but God is about to get the attention of the world. You know, during the tribulation, I talked about this last week, the Jews, those Jews that have not heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, that are going to be saved, they are suddenly going to be convinced by the things of the tribulation that God's Word is true and that Christ is the Messiah. And since they haven't heard the gospel, they will respond to it and be saved. But have you ever thought about all of those other people that are there that that have heard the gospel? They've sat through services in an old-fashioned Baptist church like this. They've heard the congregation sing Amazing Grace and the Old Rugged Cross. They've heard the pastor get up and pour his heart out, pleading with them to repent and to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and to be saved. And what do they do? They treat God as though God does not exist. Turn back to Ezekiel for just a moment in the book of Ezekiel chapter number 38. Ezekiel 38, because you'll remember that during the tribulation, this is a time when God is speaking to the world and he has a message of judgment. And I want you to notice what he says here in chapter 38 and verse number 22. And I will plead against him with pestilence and with blood. And I will rain upon him and upon his bands and upon the many people that are with him and overflowing rain and great hailstones and fire and brimstone. And here it is. Thus will I magnify myself and sanctify myself, and I will be known in the eyes of many nations, and they shall know that I am the Lord. Boy, I'll tell you, the day is coming when God's going to make His presence known. It'll become very real that that old fanatical red face screaming, hollering, pulpit-pounding preacher was right all along. And God's going to show Himself strong in that day. Going back to what Jesus said there in Luke, in verse number 26, there are three words that I want you to notice. He speaks about the powers. And uh, let's go back and read that. Luke 22 And I want you to notice carefully what he says here as he speaks about the day that we're speaking about. In verse number, where did I say verse 26? Luke 21. Luke 21, verse 26. Men's hearts failing them for fearing, for looking after those things which are coming on the earth. Here we go. For the powers of heaven shall be shaken. That word powers there is the Greek word dunamis. It's the word that we get our English word dynamite from. Power. 
The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. It's the dynamite of God. And here he says the powers are going to be shaken. And then notice the word heaven. It's the Greek word Uranus. And that word means the word that we get the word uranium from. Now, notice he says they shall be shaken. That means to be set off balance. Do you realize that the air that we breathe and everything around us is made up of atoms and man one day discovered the power of the atom and you split the atom and you have what? The atom bomb. Uranium here. Now, I'm not, I'm not trying to tell you that it's absolute a certainty that all of this is speaking about a nuclear warfare. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying whenever you look at those three words and you put it together in modern, plain, old, simple English, here's what it's saying. The explosive power of uranium will be set off balance. We... We live inside, as we think about the atmosphere of this earth, we're living in a time bomb, folks. And God very easily could set it off, as it were. Let me show you. Second Peter chapter number 3. And he says in verse 10, For the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervor. Remember, there are three heavens. There's the atmospheric heaven and the stellar heaven and the third heaven. And he says, The heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, and the earth also, and the works that are therein shall be burned up. The bomb's going to go off. Now, the good news is God's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. That's the good news. But that's of no benefit to those that are here that are lost, those that know not Christ as their Savior. But I want you to notice what Peter says next here in verse 13. No, verse 11. Seeing then that all of these things shall be dissolved. Boy, that's a strong word, dissolved. We've been speaking about devastation destruction, death, darkness, doom. And here he says it's all going to be dissolved. What manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Now, who's he talking to? Well, he's speaking to believers Peter is writing to those believers that had been scattered abroad because they had been persecuted, driven from their homes, and now here he is writing to them and reminding them of what is to come. 
and reminding us in light of the fact that God's judgment is coming upon this earth, what kind of people ought we to be? We need to think about that. Why? Because our loved ones, our neighbors, our co-workers that are lost, if Jesus comes today, it might be glory for you, but it'll be hell for them. It'll be horrible beyond belief. And we need to think about what manner of person that we ought to be because of that. Boy, I'll tell you one thing, we ought to be holy in our conduct because if we're not, they're not going to listen to the truth of our message. But lifestyle evangelism alone is never enough. We've got to get beyond just our walk. We've also got to put it in our talk because the gospel is the power of God and the salvation And regardless of how much they admire you as a real dedicated Christian, it'll never be enough till they hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And each and every one of us are debtors to others to tell them, to share with them what we know about Christ. Boy, I tell you, it's it's going to be horrible beyond belief. And there's not one saved person here tonight. Not one safe person that wants to see their loved ones go through that. I was talking to someone, I guess it was today or yesterday, and talking about that very thing pertaining to our children and our grandchildren. You know, Bev and I don't worry about the Lord coming back, and we're going to go be with the Lord. That's wonderful. Even if we die before the Lord comes back, we're going to go be with the Lord, and that's wonderful. But I'll tell you, it, 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 just, it, it just grips my heart to think about maybe some of my children and some of my grandchildren, some of my great-grandchildren being here during the tribulation. Boy, if ever there was a grandma that prayed and cried and wanted her grandkids to be saved, it's Bev. She is so very concerned about her grandkids and we, we all ought to be concerned about our grandkids and one another. You know, one of the, I think, tricks the devil uses on us is this, that a lot of times we, we content ourselves, can deceive ourselves actually, and convince ourselves that all of our kids are saved because they say they are. Well, they made a profession of faith. That means they're all right. I'm telling you what, we've got some family members. All of our kids have made professions of faith. But I've just got to be real honest and tell you that there's we have children that in reality there's no evidence, at least in my mind. I'm not God. I'm not the judge. But what I'm saying is, I, do, I can't have any real peace in my heart that they're really, truly born again. That ought to be a concern to each and every one of us, that we do what we can while we can to reach everyone that we can. Because even if all of your family is saved, all of my family's not, that, they need your witness, they need your example. The Lord willing, next week... Next week, the trumpets keep sounding. I mean, look, this isn't the end of it here. 
One third of all of the ocean is smitten and the seas turned to blood and the vegetation is destroyed. It's horrible. It's terrible. But it's not over yet. And we're going to look at the rest of it next week. But I want you tonight as we close to think about what manner of person ought ye to be in light of these truths. What would God have you to do in light of these facts? Let's stand together. So our musicians.